0: God, that all of your word is for us. And this text is for us. And it instructs us, God, on how our relationship with the government should look. Lord, I ask right now as we reflect on your ways, Jesus, I pray, God, that your spirit would come alongside, that you would illuminate these words, and that that right now, God, you would help us, God, that we would distract from the challenges of this world, from the distractions of this world, and that we would truly have hearts that are open to what you would have for us. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We are here. We pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So the text that we're looking at is is in Romans chapter 13. Paul's writing to the early church. They've just heard this wonderful gospel, right? In Romans chapter one through 11, Paul is, is expounding the gospel and he's calling us to this new way of life. In particular, I'm reminded of this one moment where he says, you were once in the old Adam, but there's a new Adam who has come and his name is Jesus and in him you are a new people. You are a new nation and you are called to a different way of living, a different way of living that we looked at last week, a way of living that is, that is upside down, that is loving our enemies, that is, that is outdoing one another in showing honor to each other. Uh, a new nation that belongs to each other that we call the church, the body of Christ with Christ as the head of the church. And Paul's writing to the church and probably anticipates in this moment, this question, well if we're a new nation, if we're a new people, what's our relationship with Rome supposed to be like? Does this mean like we should pay our taxes, we don't have to pay our taxes anymore because we're really not Roman citizens, We're, we're, we're people of the kingdom? Does this mean that we should rise up and rebel against Rome? Does this mean we should, we, should, we should have a coup against the emperor? What does this mean? And so Paul now writes to the nuance of this, and he writes about our relationship in the upside-down way of the kingdom for how our relationship with the government should work. Verses 1 through 2, it starts here. He says, let every person, this word for person, every soul be subject to, to the governing authorities. This is a reference to whatever context, whatever culture you're in. He says that every people have this submission. Now notice he does not say here let every person obey the governing authorities. There's a little nuance here, a difference between obedience and submission. They often go together but not always. He says, for there is no authority except from God. Paul here is claiming that God is the ultimate authority. That God is the ultimate authority, that all authority comes from God, so he's putting God on the throne and saying, ultimately, all authority comes from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, those authorities that exist. He says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, it's really important here, To to make sure we differentiate, Paul's not saying here that God appoints necessarily every evil authority. He's not saying that God appointed Hitler. He is saying that God has ordained government for our good. The the principle, the truth of of government that, that God has instituted government for our good. It's for us. And, 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 and we as a people, he's saying, no matter what context you live in, and, and, and we live in a democracy, but at this time, the people of God are living in Rome under an emperor, a probably evil emperor at the time, a guy named Nero. And he's calling the church here in this moment to submit. What does he mean here? Jesus himself talked about this. That there was this interaction that he had with the Pharisees. They were trying to trap Jesus in this conversation. They were trying to set him up. And so they, they go to him and they say, tell us, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 22. They say, tell us, Jesus, what do you think? Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? Or not? But Jesus, being Jesus, was aware of their malice, said this. Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? He said, show me the coin on the tax, for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is on this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. In other words, this is, this is Caesar's. Give it to him. You are image bearers. Paul would say, you are meant to be a living sacrifice, right? And so you should render your lives to God. God should be on the throne. He should be the king. And he ultimately is the one that, that, that we follow. But then there's this undercurrent of, 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 of citizenship that he's getting after here. This is important. There's some nuance here that I believe Paul is getting at. Oh, water's so good. Matthew Bates, in his book, uh, Gospel Allegiance, he writes about this. He says, it's true, but too simple to say that Jesus is our king, so Caesar is not. It is true because we dare not think that the gospel is apolitical or non-social. Jesus is the king over these spheres of life and all others. As his citizens, we enact his kingdom principles no matter what government structure is in its place. Hear this. We can certainly never worship Caesar. Caesar is the place marker for whoever the leader in charge is or his non-Jesus ways. But to say that Jesus is king so Caesar is not is at the same time too simple. Our allegiance to Jesus might in fact call us to support Caesar as when we pay taxes, this passage here. When we pray for our government leaders, 1 Timothy. And when we live an ordinary life and non-Christians under the government's partial authority. There's this call to this partial allegiance as long as there's not a compromise happening. As long as God is still God and we are still not called to challenge Tim Keller says, if the state commands that God forbids, or if the state forbids what God commands, then this is the time that civil disobedience is called for. So Paul gets after this. He's he's making this call to the church to submit to the governing authorities. What does this mean? I'm happy you asked. Let's keep reading. He says this. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad He's saying, rulers, uh, uh, under the, the, the law and order, they're, they're for good, they're, they're bad for bad conduct. He says, "What would would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? And then he does this call, this Im- implication, he says, then do what is good and you will receive his approval, God's approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. It's interesting here, the word servant here is the Greek word diokonis. It's the same word we use for deacon. It's a word that Paul is using to say that ultimately, in government places, God is using people in authority over us as his servants. Ultimately, God is the one in control. In Jeremiah, when the people are in in, in exile in Babylon. There's this uh, uh, king named Nebuchadnezzar. And God says this about Nebuchadnezzar, he says, now I have given all these lands into the hand, in, in Jeremiah 27, of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Same word, my servant. And I have given him also the beast of the field to serve him. So God's calling us to in, in some way to have this relationship. Yes, we are of a new world. We are, we are, we are exiles. We are, we are, we are, we are different. But yet we're called to be in the community. And I believe, as I've been reading this and studying this and thinking about this, and thinking about the challenges we've had over the last few years, I believe here truly, God is calling us as a Christian community in the upside down way of Jesus, he's saying this, that we're called to have this statement to be a good citizen in exile. I'm called to be a good citizen in exile. He's calling us to this call for citizenship. As you think about the places that you live, as you think about the state that you live in, the country that you live in, that as, a way, as the way of Jesus, as we're called to follow him in his way, we're called to be good citizens. What does this mean? Look at what he says here. I'm gonna lose my voice. No, I'm not. Verses five through seven says this. Therefore, one must be in subjection, submit, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also must pay taxes. The authorities and ministers of God, this word ministers, really interesting here, it's the same word used for the priests in the Old Testament. Because attending to this very thing, they pay to all... What is owed to them? Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor, to whom honor is owed. There's this call that whatever we owe, we should pay. Your taxes, your honor, your respects. There's this call to be good citizens and this should ring true for the people of God. It should remind them of when they were in exile in Babylon when they were under the rule of a dictator and God called the people, he didn't say, you know what, build castle walls, stay as much apart, away from the culture as you can, protect yourself, don't ever talk to your neighbors. On the contrary, he said this to the people in Babylon, he said this, he said, build houses and live in them. He said, plant gardens and eat their produce. To take wives and have sons and daughters in marriage, that you may bear sons and daughters. Be fruitful, multiply there, and do not decrease, he says, but seek the welfare, or the word here would be the shalom, the peace of what? The city, the city where you live. Where I have sent you, there's this calling, this sentness into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray for your city. Pray for your, your, your state, your country, and port's welfare that you will find welfare. Tim Keller said this. He says, Jeremiah is telling believers to overcome evil with good what we heard in chapter 12, by doing what? Bringing their love and faith to bear on the public good of the city in which they live. Jesus said this, when he's talking to his disciples, he said this, he said, he's praying to the Lord about his disciples, about us, he's praying for us, he says this to God, to the Father, he says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world but he's sending them into the world. And so we see this call for us to be good citizens, to be involved. I love this in Chowchilla that a bunch of members of the city council go to church here. Our police of chief, Jeff Palmer, goes to church here. We have people on the school board, we have people that, are, that we care for our community so we get involved in our community. We show up, we, we care for the places that were planted because we believe this is a, a call of the people of God that we, that we are good citizens in exile. And so that's the first part of this call for us in the way of Jesus to be good citizens in exile. But it's really important that you don't miss the second piece here because this is where there's nuance to when we should and shouldn't obey the government, to when civil disobedience is called for. And it's this truth. Not only are you and me, brothers and sisters in Christ, called to be good citizens in exile, we're also called to this one truth. Paul just said, don't owe anybody anything. Don't owe them your taxes. Don't owe them your debt. But second, he says this. He says that we The only thing that we owe is love. And we are to be a people who owe love to our neighbor. We are to be a people who owe love to our neighbor. That's the second fill in the blank. Owe love, I owe love to my neighbor. Look at verses eight and ten, eight through 10. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has what? Fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this world. In this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Remember we learned in John, that we love, why? Because he first loved us. And Paul's calling out the gospel here. He's saying, don't forget what God has done for you. The incredible gift of the gospel. The incredible gift that we can never repay of God himself dying the sins that I committed and giving me his righteousness, this is the love that I can never repay. Therefore, I constantly let the love of Christ out of me into the world and into my neighbors. Jesus said the same thing, actually, in Matthew 22. He had just had this conversation with the Pharisees about paying taxes, and they're trying to stump him again, and it says when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, They gathered together. And they're like, well, he got them quiet. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. He said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. What? Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, love God, horizontal, love neighbor. I'm sorry, love God, vertical, love neighbor, horizontal. As First John says, we love because he first loved us. And so the question is, ultimately, we, we have, the one thing we do owe is what? Say, we owe love. We owe love. We are a people. This is, what does it say in Corinthians 13? If I do not have love, I am nothing. And the love that we owe is the love of Christ for us. And this is paramount to our understanding of our relationship here with the previous statement about being a good citizen. Donald Barnhouse, the commentator on Romans, he said this. The believer is to understand the first and greatest commandment. He is to render to God the things that are God's. That is, he is to love the Lord, his God, with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He is also to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. That is, he is to love his neighbor as himself. The government is to help us love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the call that that we're being called to. So then you may ask the question, what about when the government is not helping me love my neighbor? What about a bad government? What about if there's ways that all of a sudden my, 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 my call above all to love God and love my neighbor, what about the times when I feel like if I was to obey, I would be violating the, the greatest commandments? This is when the question of civil disobedience should arise. And we see, a, we see this throughout the entire story of Scripture. You go back to the book of Exodus when the Pharaoh, he, he demands that the midwives, do you remember this story? He demands that the midwives kill all the babies. And it's, we learn in Exodus 1, 17, it says, but the midwives, what did they do? They feared God. And they did not do as the king um as the king of Egypt commanded them, and they let the little children live. Because they recognized that they were being asked to violate the sanctity of life and they could not do that, so they had this civil disobedience. Or you go to the book of Daniel. In exile, the people are in exile, and you have these three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the, the, the pharaoh at the time has built this giant statue and he says, if anybody does not bow down to the statue, I'm gonna throw them in a fiery furnace. This is what happens. He says, uh, uh, the, the, these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the government says, bow down. They say, we can't do this. So they go up before the pharaoh and he says this. <clears throat> this is what they say. They say, be if not, be it known to you, O king, Daniel 3, uh, I'm sorry, go back, sorry. Back to verse 17, please. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, even if he doesn't, Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship their golden image that you have set up. There's this pattern of the people of God. If there's a violation of our call to love God and love neighbor, our response should be different. Later on, the Pharaoh demands that you can't pray. And Daniel, if you remember the story, says this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem and he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Or in the New Testament, the apostles are, are said, don't share the good news of Jesus. Don't talk about the Messiah. The government says you can't talk about that. But Peter and John answered The people attacking them, they said this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. They said, but we must obey obey God and not man. They said, we fear God and not man. And so there's this call. Yes, we are called to be good citizens in the kingdom of God, but never to compromise our call to love God and love neighbors. Back in 2020, our elders would sit down and we would look at the text and for a while we did this online church thing and we, we kept thinking, okay, this is, the, this is the best way. We're being submissive. But then we started to realize that, there, that our call to love God and love neighbors was seriously challenged by, by the, the loneliness and the isolation that was happening in our community. And we, we discovered we need to worship together. This is paramount to our faith. And so we came to this very hard decision back then. That even though we were told not to worship in this space, we came to a place where we had to. Not because we wanted to stick it to the man. We, we wanted to be as gentle and as doves. But we, we felt this call to worship together. And this, this is this challenge for us in the, in the age that we live in. This balance between saying, beloved, the way of Jesus is to be a good citizen. But don't compromise the things that he's called you to do. Now the challenge is that sometimes we put things in the wrong box. And we say, oh, this is really compromising, and it's not. Oh, the taxes are too high oh, this, is this really causing me to not be able to love God and love neighbor? There's still this call to be a good citizen and to submit. And so we gotta live in this way. We gotta live in this call as people of God to be the best citizens, to be involved in, in the government for the good, to seek the welfare. This is a call for us. What I love here is that Paul doesn't stop here because there's also this this sending that he has. This is my favorite part. Not only am I called to be a good citizen in exile, not only am I called to owe love to my neighbor, finally I get to destroy darkness through the light of Christ. I destroy darkness through the light of Christ. Look at what Paul does here. He says, besides this, You know the time. It says, the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Put on Christ. Notice, there's two put-ons. Put on the armor of light, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's the armor of light? Jesus. The armor of light is Christ himself. By his spirit, we are called to be people of the spirit. And we are called to walk into dark places and to dispel the darkness through the light of Christ, the goodness of who Jesus is. This is our call. We are a sent people. we have the very spirit of God in us. It's beautiful. But once again, as you think about the way, it's this call to the way of Jesus. Don't forget the previous verses where we're called to to overcome evil with what? Good. We're called to have this spirit of submissiveness, of gentleness. We're called also to always acknowledge that God is king and the Father. The Father is one. In John 19, when Jesus is before Pilate and he's questioning the authority of Jesus and Pilate kind of says, do you know who I am? Jesus says this to Pilate, he says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. And yet, Jesus in his wisdom submitted for the love that he has for us submitted to the cross. So there's this call to dispel darkness through the light of Christ. Remember that word where it said that the government, the authorities are ministers of God? This word is also used in another time that I find fascinating in in Hebrews chapter eight. Look Look at what this says. It says, now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest this is Christ, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a same word, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. We have Christ reigning in our hearts. We believe this to be true, that Jesus is leading us by his spirit, and we are called to be people who dispel darkness through his light. I love this last Halloween We had the fall fest, and we were having a conversation in staff the other day, and Pastor Justin, he said something great. Some folks have said, why do you do that? That's an evil, dark day. Why don't you just not have anything to do with that? And I love what Pastor Justin said. He said, yes, but we are called to bring light into that dark day, and that's what we do. We don't do all the dark, evil stuff. We celebrate family, we celebrate the good news of the gospel, and we create safe spaces for people. This is what the people of God have been doing since Jesus did it for us. We're called to be people that recognize dark places and we don't run from them, we bring the light of Christ into them. And we believe that he is the one who expels the darkness. A great parallel text to this text as we think about this conversation is 1 Peter chapter two. It's a little long, but it's really good. And look at this connection here. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to flip to that or get that on your phone, it's, it's, look at these incredible connections, he says this. He says, but you, he's talking to the church, he's talking to you and me, the people that belong to each other, he says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may do what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you what? Out of darkness into what? His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Remember back in Romans 12 he said, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, he says, abstain from the passions of this flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, when they attack you, when they persecute you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You may heap up burning coals on their head, as Paul says in Romans 12. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, You should put to silence the ignorant, ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. As you think about this, as you reflect on this, as I think about this, there's three questions I'd like you to ask. First, How can you be more involved in seeking the peace of your city, in seeking the peace of your state, in seeking the peace of your country? God is calling us as a church to seek the peace. Perhaps we got a parade coming up. Tim's in charge of it. Maybe you helped him and you joined the parade here in the city. Perhaps you run for city council. Perhaps you just you keep voting. Perhaps you you care for your neighbors. Perhaps you put your Christmas lights up. How can you seek the, the peace of the city? Because this is what we're called to be, a people of the way of Jesus. Second, how can you be more involved? In seeking the peace of your city, state, or country, and second, who is your neighbor? Paul tells us that we owe love to our neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Go back to the Good Samaritan. We know that our neighbor is oftentimes the people that don't look like us, don't talk like us. Perhaps even people that vote differently than us. Or maybe they're your actual neighbor that lives next to you. Who is your neighbor? Who is God right now calling you? Remember Romans 12, we're to love, we owe love. Who do you owe love to? I would encourage you, think about an actual name of a person right now. Who's your neighbor? As the way of Jesus, because of his love for you, who is he calling you to show love to? And finally, the most challenging question, What works of darkness in or around you are you asking God to destroy in Christ? What works of darkness in or around you are you asking God to destroy in Christ? Remember, Paul says, I don't understand what I do for what I hate I do and what I want to do, I do not do. We have this struggle with our flesh and as people of God, we are called to this radical honesty about it. And oftentimes, before we start thinking about the darkness outside of us, there's some darkness in us that we need to confess and repent of. It's usually somehow related to our pride and our ego. And we need to step out of the denial and into the grace of God and for some of us, there are dark things around us, dark places that God is calling us to pray and to go two by two and to, and to start seeking to dispel the darkness with his light. With his light, not your light. So I encourage you, as you think on these truths, God is calling us to the Jesus way. He's, he's, he's inviting us in And let's continue to be a people who follow Jesus in his way. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for this text today. A text that we're called to wrestle with. A text that you give us that tells us how we are to live, how we are to follow. And God, I pray You tell us in James, don't really listen to the word and deceive yourselves, do what it says. Lord, would you help us to know what to do about this? For some of us, God, there is some very real darkness in our own lives. And Lord, we just need to be be reminded that you've called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And God, if you need to shine light on some dark things, I pray that you would do that today. And I pray, Lord, as we reflect on this time, that you prepare our hearts to respond to you, that you would continue to stir in this place and create a faithful, obedient response in us, God. Have your way. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Amen.